Walter Balfour, the team of Brass, of Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, substituting uh, for Dave Cameron in Dave Cameron's weekly Monday appearance, it is senior editor at Fangraphs, Jeff Sullivan. And in what follows, Jeff Sullivan endeavors, I guess, to analyze all baseball, but what that means in early January, in particular when one uh, when one is not discussing the Hall of Fame, it means very little, to be honest. There's some discussion here of contact rates. Jeff, at some point, relates an anecdote about a, a drunk person interrupting his sleep on New Year's Eve and in a truly dark moment uh, full of existential dread. Sullivan ruminates briefly on a, a transaction uh, by the Philadelphia Baseball Club. They signed Aaron Harang, and it's just the kind of headline that you read it and you're just bummed out, I think, automatically. And then you look at, well, why did that make sense to the Phillies? And then you look at their starting pitcher depth chart, and you're bummed out again. And then you think, well, who, but who cares? Spangraphs Audio features Jeff Sullivan, and it begins right now. Some friends I know, the baseball writing, were down visiting me. And one of them, we were watching football, and one of them was trying to use Siri across the room to text a friend of his in Seattle something. I don't remember what he wait, was he saying. Was trying, wait, so when you, he was across the room from you, or he was across the room from his phone? He was across the room from his phone, halfway across the room was from his phone. Was this an experiment? Uh, no, this is apparently something that he does often enough. I don't know. I don't see him that much. But he would say, hey, Siri, or whatever you do with iPhones, text... And she pricks uh, up her virtual ears just from that? She does. Okay. Yeah, it's a miracle in 2011. Okay. And so he says, text, name of friend. And then Sirius says, okay, what would you like me to text, name of friend? And then he, my friend said some sentence, and then it's sent. And then he said, hey, Siri, text him again. And then he said some other sentence or two. And then Sirius like, okay, I'll send it. And then the messages were sent. <laughs> uh-huh. And then about 10 minutes later, he got a response from his friend. And then he looked at the messages that sent. And the first one, the first message that he sent to his friend read, I. And the second <laughs> message that he sent to his friend read, warm. <laughs> and so his friend responded, you are warm? Yeah, he's warm. He's warm, but no time for verbs. <laughs> and that's, that's what he would like to communicate. What was, what was the Simpsons linguistics robot uh, lingo, linguo? Linguo dead. Linguo <laughs> is dead. Anyway, how are you? Hey, so, yeah, can, I, can I ask you a question about? Um, I actually, uh, I want to know about. Um, you were today about con, uh, contact rates. Yeah, that that happened. Contact rates by count. And I want to ask you a first question. You suggest at the, the sort of introduction to that piece uh, that you have always had that you have always enjoyed working with contact rates. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, I understand that. Uh, I believe a contact rate is the measure of um, is the frequency w- w- upon which a batter swinging also makes contact. Uh-huh. So it presupposes swinging, yes. Mm-hmm. So why do you care uh, for contact rate over swinging strike rate, or don't you? Am I is this a false dichotomy? I I would use them differently, uh, but swing strike rate is less pure because I think that then you are sort of folding in guys who throw a lot of balls uh, because then, of course, your denominator is all pitches, 
and I kind of like to isolate just to those pitches who are most difficult to hit when they uh, are swung against because I think that tells me a little more about the the dominance of their stuff, oh, okay. not necessarily so their, their ability to use it. So when they have been enticed to swing, uh-huh. and they and yet they they still miss. Something triggers in them, which triggers in every hitter to says this is an appropriate pitch at which I should swing. Mm-hmm. And then and then what happens is, um, and then what happens is they don't they don't make contact anyway. Yeah, I wonder. Maybe an over simplistic way to put it is, I think swing strike rate can tell you a lot about who is a good pitcher, and contact rate might be able to tell you more who could be a good pitcher if he got a little better. Okay, interesting. Yeah, because because that's the reason I'm right. It's it's a question of context. That's a good point. Because with regard to contact rate, I I think of a hypothetical pitcher, right, mm-hmm. <clears throat> who has who has an unhittable pitch. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's 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 greater than uh, whatever you know Craig Kimbrell's um, breaking pitches. It's even mm-hmm. better than that, but it's it's nigh impossible for him to throw it near the to throw it in such a way that would coax the batter to swing. Uh-huh. Right, or it's not it's not ever near the plate. However, on the off chance that it is near the plate, the batter is says, "Okay, I should swing now," but he has no chance of making contact. So there's mm-hmm. a situation where Let's see. Say he threw 10 pitches and only one of them – no, say he threw – just for sake of clarity. He threw 100 pitches mm-hmm. and only one of them was uh, located in such a – they threw them all over the park basically, <clears throat> all equally unhittable um, but but never, but never um, compelling the batter to swing. But then he threw one – that was in the strike zone, but thrown with such excellent break that the batter obviously swung and missed. So now he has a hundred percent. Well, now there's a zero percent contact rate on that one pitch, but only a one percent swinging strike rate. Mm-hmm. And that's not that's that's not a very good pitcher. Although, right to your point, it is a pitcher who, when he does compel the batter to swing, is sure to to do well. Yeah, I think. Uh, one one example that kind of comes to mind is when Matt Thornton came up as a Mariner and he was really hard to hit, uh, except he also was he was really hard to watch. And yep. then the White Sox <laughs> uh, the White Sox acquired him, and then Don Cooper uh, was like, "Yeah, we've had our eye on this guy for a while because there's a little thing I want to do to him." Well, that that's not the, what he said. There's a little <laughs> tweak I want to make to his delivery that <laughs> I wanted to make I for a while. Do to that guy. <laughs> And then, uh, Don and then Cooper. Matt Thornton. Yeah, actually, Doug Cooper didn't. He didn't mean it creepily, but but it was. <laughs> everyone took it like that. Uh, and then Matt Thornton went to the White Sox. He like cut his walk rate in half or something, and he became a really really good reliever for a few years. Uh, was it the I, thing with Matt Thornton? Didn't he throw? Uh, well, at least with the White Sox, didn't didn't he throw almost exclusively fastballs? Uh, yeah, uh, at least more recently. I don't remember. Well, let me, I can do a quick check on fangraphs.com. And when he went over to the White Sox, uh, yeah, so with the Mariners, he threw a lot of white, uh, fastballs. When they went to the White Sox, he threw even more fastballs, which granted that helps his, uh, his contact or his zone rate. But another fun but he, fact, but he still had I excellent, forgot. yeah, what? Go ahead. He still had uh, excellent well, strikeout rates. Uh, yeah, his strikeout rate uh, with the Mariners was over 20%, and then with the White Sox, it was over 20%. And then it got even better later on, but something I had forgotten is that also when he went to the White Sox, he started throwing three miles per hour faster. So Don Cooper did a lot for Matt Thornton. He made him uh, quite good after he was quite bad. And someone I was looking at earlier today 
because I missed this, uh, I guess, in December because I missed everything about the Rule 5 draft because I don't care, yeah. is the Phillies took, I believe the Phillies took Andy Oliver, uh, who uh, it, you might either. remember Andy Oliver as a former Tigers? Tiger, that's how I remember Prospect. Him, yeah. yeah. And yeah, he was he was like on lists some years ago. And uh the fun thing about Andy Oliver is uh according to Steamer, he has the highest projected walk rate of anybody who is currently lined up to be in the major leagues. Okay. He is projected to walk seven batters per nine innings, which is many batters. Hmm. He is also projected to have more strikeouts than that, and so this is kind of reminiscent of Matt Thornton. He's also a lefty who's in his late 20s. He throws pretty hard. But in the minor leagues, uh, let's look at two years ago mm-hmm. with the Pirates. He was in AAA with the Pirates. He <laughs> pitched 124 innings. Mm-hmm. You're already looking at the player page, I can tell by the laughter. Yeah, 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 because yeah. I can see yeah. there's, a lot of, there's a lot of double-digit numbers yeah. in, in his player profile. A, and triple-digit. Uh, with the Pirates in AAA, he threw 124 innings and changed. And he struck out 138 batters, which is more than a batter inning. And he walked 112 batters, which is almost a batter an inning, mm-hmm. as mostly his turning pitcher with the Pirates. The year before that, in the Tiger system, he was uh, basically equally bad. And then last year with the Pirates, they moved him to the bullpen, and he still did a lot of the same stuff, uh, albeit to a slightly lesser extent. So here's this is a guy who also, uh, last year in AAA, he had a slightly above average swinging strike rate. But he had a a well above average or I guess below average contact rate because he did not throw strikes ever, mm-hmm, and so right. when batters swung, he was very difficult to hit. I almost wanted to write about him until I realized what I was doing, and so <laughs> I won't do that. But he is I've at least managed to bring him up today. So this is Andy Oliver is now part of my workday. Do you think? I mean, with the exception of Matt and Thornton, do you feel as though? Uh, well, one way to approach it, right, is is to find a pitcher. Who has been able to survive this sort of profile earlier in his career? I mean, I guess Thornton is, is Thornton the poster boy for it? Uh, I don't know if he's the poster boy. He's certainly the first thing, first guy that comes to my mind. Aaron Sanchez is trying to be one of them. I think Jonathan Sanchez was kind of up there. Kyle Drabeck, uh, you know, has had problems. The problem but, with Aaron Sanchez being that sort of player, right, is that, uh, well, I know that he's been a top prospect in recent years. Wasn't he also, I'm, be, I'm thinking that maybe he was also, um, drafted relatively early. Uh, yeah, in fact, he was a first-round draft pick. That's Usually you don't want that sort of guy to be that player. Mm-hmm. D- does that make sense? You want him to be good from the beginning. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't just help. It doesn't help when you say, uh-huh. It doesn't help when you say that, Jeff. I wasn't trying to help. <laughs> oh, there's another guy. There's another guy. Uh, Philippe, you might remember this because this is, might be a guy that you've liked. Yeah. Uh, Philippe Valaquette. Do you remember Philippe Valaquette? Oh. Yeah, I don't is, know. Is that a no? Uh, wait, how do you spell his last name? V-A-L-I-Q-U-E-T-T-E. He is of Montreal. Oh, yeah. He went to a polyvalent Edouard Montpetit. I don't know. I can't speak French. Uh-huh. But that's his high school, and he was drafted by the Reds. But he is uh, another lefty, and like Andy Oliver, he's 27 years old, almost 28, and he throws a thousand miles per hour, and he's not good. Uh, and he was also a Mariner at one point. He was very briefly a Mariner. It looks like he has not pitched professionally for two years, but he came up because there is a that Joshua Kuznick article this morning. I don't know if you read that, but uh, Valaket came up in there, and then I thought, oh, it's Philippe Valaket, and then just by coincidence, I was thinking about Andy Oliver on the same day. 
Wait, which article were you referencing? Uh, an article about Agent Josh Kuznick. I don't know if you read that this morning by Joe Lemire. Uh, nor do I know if you're familiar with Agent Joshua Kuznick, but he's written for BP. Oh, um, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yes. So Joe Lemire wrote about Kuznick and his uh, his life of health complications, which were previously unknown by most. Um, Kuznick has had something like 42 surgeries in 32 years, etc. It was just, I mean, I met uh, him at the winter meeting, so we had some conversations. He came to dinner and drinks one night. So I, I feel like an acquaintance now, so it meant more to me. But uh, pertinent to this conversation... The article also contains the name of Philippe Valquette, who right. I believe Kuznick has or does represent. Valquette throws hard and doesn't do anything with it. Yeah. So you were asking for comparable players, but you want players who... Well, is there any... You, uh, I guess I, I would be curious as to see which... What, what, one note about Andy Oliver is um, it appears as though he was converted to relief just this year, mm-hmm. which, which was his age 26 season. And... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I think it's interesting that that's the case. I, I'm surprised. That it seems as though a player with his profile would have been moved to the bullpen much quicker. You would or, think well, so. Would typically would typically be moved to the bullpen much more much more quickly. Yeah, I, I think he seems like the type. Uh, it's easy to get blinded maybe by the upside of a guy like this, but and uh, I mean he's only he was drafted in. Well, he joined the the major or the the pros in 2010, so he said they give him four years to kind of. Work it out, which I guess isn't isn't that long. I mean, in 2011 he was good enough. His walk rate wasn't crazy. In 2010 his walk rate wasn't crazy. It just got really bad in 2012. Uh, it got oh, it got really bad in 2012. Yeah. Um. So did you f- you figure anything out from your uh, post today? Uh, the one uh, one thing that I think is interesting is to look at it is uh, those pitchers who are ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the contact rate in that situation, because mm-hmm. this is essentially this a situation in which you'd like to um, get a swing and miss. Yeah. And or in the case of like Doug Fister or Mark Burley, apparently not do that, but they are uh, the exception. Right. They are the exception, and of course Mark Burley is the exception um, in everything. To a lot of things, right? Yeah. Uh, but generally, generally not an excellent list to be on. That I would think because you have uh, the advantage. The pitcher has mm-hmm. the advantage. Of course, if you if you look at like a uh, you know batter uh, batter production by count, uh, of course it's always better if, for the hitter if he's ahead, and it's better for the pitcher if he's ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not not shocking to see Raldis Chapman uh, first, right? Because he yeah. has he could throw either that fastball uh, uh, and that slider, and he, I believe he also has a changeup now, doesn't he? Yeah, he had the changeup that. Uh, when I covered it, I think I probably wrote like four posts about it in the summer, but he, he was hit, a batter made contact with this changeup once when they swung. One time. Now granted, that sounds crazier than it is because batters only swung like 20 times, but on the other hand, that's like 19 <laughs> swings and misses and one contact. Which is crazy. So he had, it was roughly, what, a 5% contact rate on this changeup? It was. It was a 5% contact rate on his changeup, and then he basically stopped throwing because he's like, well, I don't need this. I'm world this Chapman. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I guess uh, what most of the names on that list make sense. Maybe Tony yeah. Sip. You don't expect always to see Tony Sip there. Although he, uh, before he pitched for the Astros this year, he had been good at points with the with Cleveland before too. Yeah, I think what you see there's a few names on that list where it's like, oh, these are lefties who throw a ton of sliders when they're ahead. It's right. those guys who get ahead and then they just bury sliders low and away mm-hmm. or low and in, as as it were. 
I think it was a post that I ultimately wound up just putting up because I had put enough hours of research and different, different iterations of data that I thought, I need to get something out of this. Also, I need to post today. But I was most interested in the end of it as opposed to the start of it. The start of it was pretty... Uh, understandable, but I was interested in the guys who had big splits between mm-hmm. being ahead and not being ahead, because it's always interesting to find those little outliers. And from my own perspective, being a Mariners fan and being a huge James Paxton fan, it was interesting to see him have uh, the most extreme split in the data, in that he was he's been hard to hit when ahead in the count, and not so hard to hit when not ahead in the count, in that mm-hmm. his contact rate is off goes between like 71% and 88%. Mm-hmm. That is that's interesting. Yeah, what is that uh, what are the implications there do you suppose for for any of the pitchers on that particular list? And and, and as you mm-hmm. note in that piece um it, you don't you don't always see a ton of s- starters at the top of these lists in particular the the ones which favor low contact rates because that's populated by pitchers who are excellent and have excellent stuff, but have been confined to relief be either because they don't, they lack a third pitch or uh, they will be injured if they throw too much. But they're able to throw harder and presumably um, better uh, in shorter stints. But yeah, that's but, a, that was one of the complications of using baseball savant. They don't have like a starter or reliever split. But anyway, I think with each pitcher, the implication is a little bit different. But like with Paxton. When he is uh, not ahead in the count, I think that he doesn't really trust his curveball to find the zone. His changeup isn't great. He mostly also he has a, a long history of command and control problems, a high walk rate, so he's tried to keep that down. So I think he tries to use his fastball to get ahead, and then he tries to use his curveball to stay ahead and finish off the batter. But if he's not ahead, then the batters might be... Uh, just looking for heat, and he doesn't really trust his curveball to, to spot in the zone. He's, he doesn't have Clayton Ker, uh, Kershaw's curveball that he can spot almost wherever he wants. Uh, so so you whether think, or not, if ahead. you were to generalize, would you say it's possible, um, not in every case, but it's possible that it is a, a list of players? And it's this is I can say it's complicated automatically by the fact that you Darvish is on it, and you Darvish famously has a wide array of pitches. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in some cases, could it be pitchers who maybe feature one elite pitch? Uh, but maybe it's it's a it's a pitch that um, sort of uh, preys on batters who who are behind in the count. It it's, seems like to generalize, just looking at the top ten lists, that it's a pool of pitchers who don't change what they throw based on the count, and then there's pitchers who throw a lot of fastballs, high dog, when they are not uh, ahead in the count. And I, what that implies is they are pitchers who are maybe trying to stay away from secondary stuff until they know they can put the hitter away. Uh, maybe they don't trust it as much. Maybe they just like using their fastball to get ahead. Maybe it's just bad game calling or, or whatever you want to uh, tell. But when I did in all uh, an overall analysis, there wasn't really any clear significant advantage to being on either side of the list. Obviously, there's an advantage having a low contact rate allowed in general because that's how you uh, are a good pitcher <laughs> but it seems like there are multiple ways to go about being good uh, I would as a pitcher you should prefer to have a lower contact rate when you're ahead in the count because then you're just putting people away um, but yeah it's it's complicated and I wanted to figure out a little more than I did but there's also a million ways to go with this data and it's the beginning of January so there's a whole lot of nothing happening for the next few months. Let me ask you a question. Uh, you wrote a note to me today to, to the effect that you had uh, I think you had pursued some 
lines of inquiry, mm-hmm. uh, many of which ended up in dead ends. Yeah, they were all related to this because over the last few days I was thinking about this kind of uh, I like contact rate, but I never really see it split up. So I wanted to pursue it, but I just kept going in directions that were frustrating or not giving me anything. And granted, the direction I wound up going didn't give me a whole lot, but uh, let's just say that it's difficult to go about conducting any sort of baseball research that's worth a damn when you've spent five days not really thinking about baseball right. that much. Uh, it's hard. You, everybody has, everybody comes back from vacation mode. It's, uh, I guess maybe, did you have vacation mode? Because you had some sort of editorial responsibilities. Yeah, I did. Yeah. That's too bad. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, there Man, is a how mu- What's that? How much, how much are you hating Dave's kid right now? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. We didn't, that. we didn't mention it. We didn't mention it last week, but, uh, Dave Cameron is now a father. Or we, we assume he's the father. <laughs> um, we know that that his wife is a mother. That's a fact. Yeah. Well, we. I guess we. You should ask him next time the, that he comes on the podcast, whenever that is, if they have a milkman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a uh, a strong joke, an old saw. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's a that's always a, a fun thing to ask. I, both of, uh, of course, Eno Saris and another of our colleagues has two children, and in both cases, I've taken the opportunity to ask him. Uh, if he knows he's the father or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you think about it, uh, gentlemen such as yourself, yeah. zero children, mm-hmm. Dave Cameron, mm-hmm. uh, educated fellow, mm-hmm. one child, Eno Saris, mm. twice as many children as Dave Cameron, Yeah. responsible for twice as many lives. Or I guess you could say 50% more lives if you count his own. <laughs> well, and in and, and part his wife's, I would assume. Uh, she she can take care of herself. She's, yeah, she, she well, she's yeah. probably taking care of. Yeah, Eno works for Fangraphs. She's taking care of herself. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have any um, revelations t- uh, with regard to the, for example, the Marlon Brando Ben Lively deal between the Marlon Brando, Marlon Bird? <laughs> Did I say Marlon Brando? You said Marlon. I the think Mar- you said Marlon. Brando. Marlon. One of us is having a stroke. The Marlon Bird and uh, Ben Lively deal between <laughs> Philadelphia and Cincinnati. I think uh, so. Over when that happened, and it was uh, over sort of the yeah. the holiday lull. Yeah. I even though I'm not in charge of uh, a lot of the depth charts, I'm only in charge of the ALS depth charts. But I took it upon myself to kind of make some customizations because I'm addicted to seeing the numbers change on the projected standings. Yes, and also I figured people are not going to be very present. Uh, over over the days during the holidays, so I made some changes, and then I went into I, to do the Phillies, and I, I subtracted Marlon Bird, who granted he does not project well, uh, which is either accurate or not. I don't know which one of those it is, but removing him from the Phillies depth chart left a depth chart that I don't know. Have you looked at it? Have you looked at the this Phillies the depth Phillies? chart now? Yeah, their outfield right now, the as best as I could figure, their outfield is Dominic Brown. That makes sense, even though he wasn't good. Uh, ben Revere, that makes sense, even though he wasn't very good. And then right field is, I don't know, there's Grady Sizemore. Okay, yeah. Darren sure. Roof. Darren Roof. There's uh, Cesar Hernandez. There is Odubel Herrera. And there is a baseball player named Kelly Dugan, which is also the name of the wife of a very good friend of mine here in Portland. And I told him, your wife has the same name as a player on the Phillies. And 
That's the extent of what I know about Kelly Dugan. Yeah. I don't know anything about Kelly Dugan, Cesar Hernandez, or Odubel Herrera. And what I know about Darren Roof mostly is not good. And what I know about Grady Sizemore was relevant seven years ago. So Actually, I, it, I, I do the name Kelly Dugan happens mm-hmm. to be uh, familiar to me uh, because <clears throat> he was uh, among Philly's prospects. He ha- currently possesses the second highest projected war. Mm. Per, per, uh, you know, prorated to a full season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, there it is. He's above replacement level, which might yeah. make him. It might make him an important player on that team. The Dugan family, according to Colin McDaniel, is most known for Kelly Dugan's father, Dennis, who is a director that's been involved in multiple Adam Sandler movies. Okay, that's the first sentence in Kylie's Kelly Dugan write-up. So you're responsible for the distribution of plate appearances for right fielders in the Phillies? Uh, for the time being, I it's not good. Uh, but also, who cares, right? Cause yeah. they Wait, can Darren me. Ruff not play right field? Can, I mean, oh, you, can he's he? on there for you. Oh, oh he's, you keep he's saying on roof. There. You keep saying roof. Is it not roof? Is it rough? I don't know. But I, well, no, maybe it is. Yeah, I thought, always thought it was rough. But roof, I'll, I'll accept roof. Yeah, Darren Roof, didn't he at one point, did he like lead the uh, all the minors or one league in home runs at some year? Yeah, he had a really good year uh, in the minors. Yeah. And in the majors, uh, what he's done is... Less uh, impressive. Oh, well, actually, now that I look at it, he's been a, a good hitter. Yeah, uh, look at that. He's been yeah. 20% better than league average. Kudos to Darren Roof. Yeah, or Ruff, yeah. however you want to go. Not, a, not much for the defense, but what, what do you expect? So yeah, so maybe Roof should be in there, but I don't know if he's a right fit. I don't, I don't know, and I don't know if it matters. It's the Phillies; they're not going to be good, and they signed Aaron Harang, and it's kind of like a, it's just the kind of headline that you read it and you're just bummed out. I think automatically, and then you look at, well, why did that make sense to the Phillies? And then you look at their starting pitcher depth chart, and you're bummed out again. <laughs> and then you think, well, who, but who cares, right? So they'll figure out that- what they do. Now, I don't know if you were going to remember back to other Januarys, but do you think that this is a time of, like, consolation signings? You know? Because, uh, well, so the White Sox today signed Emilio Bonifacio. Yeah. Um, and there, uh, he has some merits insofar as he can play multiple positions. Mm-hmm. Um, although he, he has not been even <clears> – he has not been an average defender at second base, for example. Mm-hmm. Um and he has, uh, I guess he's largely he's fast. That's what he is mostly. Yeah, he fits some roles. He helps the versatility on the bench. Like the White Sox do not have depth. And even if Bonifacio isn't markedly better than Dion Vicieto, he's at least different in a way that's more pleasing. And uh, so that's when he plays the outfield. But also, you look at their second base situation, it's been a disaster, right? Because there's, there's Carlos Sanchez, there's Leury Garcia, there's Micah Johnson. It's, it hasn't been good, so for Bonifacio to be able to slot in, get some hundreds of plate appearances, I think that is not an exciting signing, but right. it is, I would rather write, I would rather write 1500 words about Bonifacio than 200 about Harang signing with the Phillies. Because <laughs> at least the White Sox stand a chance to be interesting, and I, I know why Bonifacio would take that. It's not just like a consolation signing, because for him, there's an obvious role for him on this team, and the team could be good. And then for Harang, I think the big hope is, I hope I don't die before I get five million dollars. <laughs> yeah, right. The right the impetus for Emilio Bonifacio is more clear than the impetus for Aaron Harang. Yeah, I mean I he'll be with, Aaron Harang will be employed, and I guess uh, with regard to Harang, if he pitches well, uh, because if 
memory serves, he had a, a pretty excellent first half with Atlanta this past year. Yeah, a lot of giving up not home runs is right. what he did. And so if he could do that again, then he could find himself traded to – this is actually a very good strategy, and it happened recently, I think, with – well, it's happened a couple times, right? Because the, the mm-hmm. Astros signed two relief pitchers, mm-hmm. uh, Luke Regerson and also not Luke Regerson, someone else. Pat Nishek? Pat Nishek, yeah, right. And also uh, Jason Grilly signed. Jason Grilly signed with Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, now, if Jason Grilly pitches well, that's good for everybody. Everybody's happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Atlanta has some bullpen depth, which is good. <clears throat> well, and the real the real thing that will be good for everybody is Atlanta can trade Jason Grilly, um, and and that's good because they'll probably get they'll get more than they would have gotten for however many the three million dollars or whatever that they're paying Jason Grilly this year or four or five whatever, mm-hmm. and then Jason Grilly gets to go to a winning team. So if you can't sign with a winning team, it, but you want to play for a winning team, you should really sign with the worst team. Yeah, and I think that's – there's the two strategies, I think, for a guy like Grilly. Well, I don't know. Maybe for – where's Grilly from? Is he is he from uh, Michigan? Okay, well, whatever. Why does it matter where he's from? Well, I didn't know if he was like a hometown thing. But anyway, so Grilly and the Braves. But thinking of Harang uh, more – pertinently, or more recently at least, I think for him, there's a few opportunities. One, this is an opportunity to remain in the major leagues, which no matter what they say, the Phillies remain part of them for <laughs> for the time being at least. Uh-huh. And so he, I mean, he gets to be on one of 30 major league baseball teams, and he's in a rotation that behind Cole Hamels and Cliff Lee absolutely sucks. So he knows that he has job security because they re-signed to Jerome Williams, is a potential starter on the team. Wandy Rodriguez is there. Uh, Miguel Gonzalez, Miguel Alfredo Gonzalez, Miguel I should say. Alfredo, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a David Buchanan in the major leagues, uh, the depth chart tells me. Kevin Slowey is there on a minor league contract. It's just bad. It's bad all around except for the first two for the Phillies. So Harang knows he can get money and innings and exposure. And he knows last year he had a decent ERA. And maybe he's just not ready to hang it up because the baseball stadium is... I think I think there's not very many situations in Aaron Harang's life or many careers he could choose where he would only be seen from a distance. So there's also that advantage, I think, to being in the middle of a, a playing field. And yeah, there's also, aside from just extending his career in the majors, there's the chance that he could be dealt if he maybe has another low ERA. Somebody gets hurt, and he's obviously not going to cost a lot, so he could be like a third-tier option in June or July if he's okay. And so, yeah, there's there's reasons but at the end of the day, Aaron Harang signed with the worst team in baseball for a one-year contract and five million dollars, and that's after a year in which he was he was okay. He's never going to be in much demand, so I'm not I'm not sure he can get out of there. I actually don't know if he did it at the end of the day. Just to correct you, at the end of the day, I think he did it. Well, the, he just, did it at the end of of a day. I just don't know where. Uh, yeah. What do you What do you think about uh What do you think about Ryan Madsen? Ryan Madsen signed I, with the with the Royals. Yeah, it was interesting to me when he tried, when he signed with what the the Angels yeah. when he was first trying to come back, mm-hmm. and then he he never. Well, wait did. a second. So he signed he signed a contract with the Reds at one point, and he never played for them. Yes, I thought it was the Angels. It was the Angels. Wait, how did he end up on also the, Reds? the Reds? He ended up on the Reds, and when he there was still presumption that he was healthy, and it okay. was that preseason. He it signed was, in January 2012 with the Reds. He subsequently pitched not for the Reds, right. then he signed with the Angels, and he subsequently pitched not for the Angels, 
he has not thrown a major league pitch since 2011. Right. He has not thrown a minor league pitch since uh, he threw, 2013 when he right. threw an inning. Good inning, too. Yeah, good inning. It was a good uh, He got a strikeout. Yeah, he and he got the save. He got a save. Yeah. As a matter of fact, he got his first career minor league save in 2013 with Inland Empire. Uh, but um, do we know what it, do we know anything about because his arm is messed up? Yeah, his arm is messed up, and there's a few of these guys out there like Medlin and, and Beachy who have had the the two Tommy John surgeries, and Gavin Floyd's had Tommy John. He's coming off another elbow thing. He signed a, a contract, which uh, and and the Royals signed the Royals signed was it Medlin? I said Medlin. So I think Ryan Madsen started having problems. Right around, let's call it the the peak of people thinking Tommy John surgery is is automatic and routine. Uh, this is the way I remember it anyway. He signed a couple of contracts and people thought he's coming off Tommy John, but he'll be fine uh, because it's just Tommy John surgery. And then he never got back. And I think he, in my mind, stands as an important cautionary tale that actually this is kind of a big deal, even though there's however you want to define it, something like an eighty to ninety percent success rate with this surgery. That's still like a 10 or 20% chance that this guy's career is effectively over, and Madsen has not pitched in three years to any meaningful extent. And, and now, even though he signed with the Royals for basically no money, he's 34 years old. Uh, he's had a lot of problems with his arm. He hasn't been able to pitch. I, I like it as a high upside thing, just like I like the Royals keeping Luke Shaver because that bullpen could just be stupid. Like, their rotation isn't good, but if they're only throwing three innings, who cares? But Remind me what happened to... Remember Luke Shaver had... Tommy John. He did, okay, yeah. He missed all of last year. Right. He was another one of those Royals pitchers. Well, he he had been uh, what uh, back and forth between the rotation and um, and the bullpen. He was basically Wade Davis before Wade Davis was Wade Davis, or maybe after because Wade Davis did that twice. But and Aaron, Shaver and Aaron Crow also. I mean, Aaron Crow. Aaron Crow had because Aaron Crow was a strange player. He because he played a, a a year in the independent leagues mm-hmm. before. Eventually, and he had uh, at least one pretty fantastic year, if not two. Yeah, he had a year uh, in 2011 and 2012. He was right around 25% strikeout rate. Yeah, not he was strange. an all-star in 2011, yeah. and then uh, and then his strikeouts just went to crap. Like yeah, last, that's a, that's a strange thing. That's not good for. Him. Of course, it's, uh, it's uh, mirrored his velocity, hasn't it? Uh, which is I think it's better. possible that in that bullpen he just wanted to do something to stand out, and then he looked around at his peers and he's like, uh-oh. <laughs> For me to stand out in this bullpen, I needed to be worse. You get bad. Yeah, I need to yeah, get he bad. He needs to be bad. So he was bad. That's a good point. Good point. It's not, yeah. Uh, and now Aaron Crow is gone. Uh, they traded him for a player I'd never heard of. And Brian Flynn. Uh, Brian Flynn, uh, an interesting character in that, uh, I guess he's interesting because he's a major leaguer. I don't know anything else about him. He's probably interesting. His middle name, according to baseball reference, is the letter A. Okay. All right. That might be a, that might be a sign that it's time to go. Uh, Jeff? So soon. Is there anything so else to discuss? 40 minutes. Uh, um, no. Nope. Uh, you skipped right over... Oh, no, I'm sorry, nothing. You skipped right over nothing. Yeah, yeah. Happened today. Yeah. Oh. No, yeah. Oh, hey, hey, hey. James Shields. James Shields. Uh, he did not sign. Okay. But there's... How about there's Max Scherzer? A, there's the rumor... Max Scherzer did nothing, but... There's a rumor that James Shields has a, a five-year, $110 million offer in hand. Did you read that? No. Oh. Well, now you've heard it. And here's here's what we know about it. It's unclear which team it came from. Mm. Mm. Just like Chase Headley in his 465. Wait, Headley... 
Oh yeah, Headley hasn't signed yet. No, Headley has signed. Headley resigned Headley with the Yankees. Did. Headley resigned with the Yankees. Yeah, but uh, Break, before breaking, that, breaking, Chase Headley has <laughs> resigned with the Yankees. <laughs> there was uh, there was the rumor that Chase Headley had a sixty-five million dollar offer uh, that he ultimately did not take because he signed with the Yankees for less. Uh, but that was that was the thing, and Headley didn't want the money, so he just, he went somewhere else for less. And now James Shields apparently has a hundred ten million dollar offer, according to people, but he has not accepted it because he is still not according a to people, signed man. People magazine, according to according to <laughs> People magazine, featuring Ken Rosenthal mm-hmm. on Sunday afternoon. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So how do you feel about James Shields? Uh, um, no comment. Not a single. Okay. I mean, what James Shields probably be a good pitcher for your team at the right price. I'm I'm convinced. I'm not convinced. I'm going to say as if I'm convinced that I think James Shields has faced a slightly tougher slate of opponents than average, and so I think that if you adjust for strength of schedule, he comes out looking better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he already comes out looking pretty good. But I touched on this back when I was, I guess, ripping Cool Hamels to shreds or whatever people think I was doing. That oh, I remember that. Yeah, uh, yeah that you hate Hamels. Him. I don't know why you hate him so much. Well, I mean, he he sucks. I think he did but he uh, Hamels has faced a pretty easy slate of opponents because the National League has not been very good, and uh, and Shields has faced pretty hard opponents, pretty tough opponents, and that is worth something. Uh, and that's all I have to say on that. So. Uh, that's all I got. That's all I got. Good combo. Well, let me let me ask you the question now on the podcast that I asked you before when I asked you not to record it. But how are you doing? <laughs> uh, decent, I guess. Yeah. How was how was your how was your New Year? Um, uh, a lot of driving. We drove. We had to drive back from Wisconsin. Uh, sorry, from Michigan, Michigan to Buffalo, Buffalo back to New Hampshire, and then we went New Hampshire to Maine. Mm-hmm. That is a lot of driving. Maine back to New Hampshire, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you uh, did he do it on purpose? Did we do it? Uh, yeah, we did. We did it on purpose. That's great. I'm glad that that's yeah, good. You're not just being. We did. We did it on purpose uh, because uh, we were. Yep, I was driving. I knew mm-hmm. that the whole time what was happening. <laughs> you wanna you wanna close with a quick little story because uh, I had let's let's call it probably the most memorable uh, New Year's event. That I've experienced. Yes. Yeah. It's it's short uh, and it ends abruptly. But uh, so New Year's Eve, whatever, with yep. my girlfriend and whatever. And eventually, <laughs> we go to sleep like an ordinary New Year's Eve. Yeah. When you're almost thirty, you fall asleep at ten forty-five, watching yeah. old Saturday Night Live reruns. So it's I don't know. We go to bed after midnight, ordinary, a little drunk, but no big deal. No big deal. And uh, I I'm wake mad, up. Everybody. Yeah. I wake up. I don't wake up often when I'm asleep uh-huh. <laughs> because I'm asleep by definition. Yeah. I don't. Uh, I don't wake up in the middle of the night very much. But I woke up in the middle of this night, and I didn't really know what was uh, happening. Were you a little, uh, was... a little, uh, little backwards? Well, at this point, I was a little groggy, but I right. came too quickly. So I was over at my girlfriend. <laughs> I heard and... that's a problem with you a lot of the time. <laughs> Grog- grogginess. <laughs> uh, no, you came. You came too quickly. <laughs> yeah. Well, fifty percent. Never mind. I won't give statistics. But so hey, find my, out the standard deviation for that, Sullivan. Uh, 
right. What do you uh, keep going? So my girlfriend's apartment. We were over at my girlfriend's apartment, and she lives in a second-story apartment. And there is a there's a main front entrance to the the little complex. It's one floor of units. I don't know. I don't want to call it a complex, but it's a complex. There's a, a front main entrance. There's also a back entrance and a small parking lot. And if you uh, exit the parking lot, there's a staircase that leads to the back of the apartment building. And there's the staircase leads to a hallway that then leads to all other units. But there's also a little side entrance directly to my girlfriend's balcony um, because it's closest to the staircase. You can just access that without going to the hallway. So then there's the little door that goes to the balcony, and then the balcony has French doors that open to her bedroom. Uh, and so we, uh, we are asleep. Mm-hmm. And I wake up, and it's something like five in the morning. Although I did not look at my phone or a clock, and I notice, oh, the door's open. And then I notice, oh, there's somebody in here. <laughs> and then I notice, oh, my girlfriend's right next to me, and it's not her who's in here. Uh-oh. We're both in here, but there's somebody else in here. And uh, you can say there's too many people in the room at this. There point. are there is there is as many people in the room. As some met, forget it. There are three people in the room, <laughs> and uh, there is no screaming. But uh, I don't have the best memory of whatever my girlfriend might have been saying. But I noticed first, okay, doors open. Second, okay, girlfriend's right next to me. Third, okay, somebody is stumbling right in front of the bed. And then I thought, all right, gonna deal with this now. <laughs> no, what are you doing? And this man just stumbled. The uh, the bedroom is pretty small uh, yeah. in terms of floor surface area, and the bed is big. It's a bed. And so you sort of have to navigate around the bed to walk to the rest of the apartment or to get to the big closet on the other side of the bed. And this form, which I took to be a man, uh, was was slowly inching his way around the bed, not in the direction of the rest of the apartment, but seemingly toward the closet. And then I was just, like, saying things to him, like, what do you know? Uh... <laughs> And then he just kept going. And I was like, what do you stop? And then I reached and I remember like grabbing his arm. And he's like, no, no, it's cool. My friend Alex lives here. I oh. was like, wait, but no, there's no, 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 Alex, you don't live here. And then he just kept going to the closet. And I was like, stop, what? that's the closet. And then he's, he suddenly realized, I, it must have clicked. It was still dark. I couldn't, I didn't turn on the lamp. There was no lamp nearby. I couldn't see him, but he stopped in the closet. And he's like, oh my God. Oh, I'm so sorry. And then he just walked back around the bed and out the French doors and down the balcony, off the balcony, and somewhere else. And then he just left. And then I just immediately went back to bed. And then I woke up later in the morning. And my girlfriend's like, oh, I didn't really sleep that well. There was an intruder. (laughs) And I just, I immediately, when he left, I immediately thought, well, this is the funniest thing that's ever happened in, like, at least three or four years of my life. Yeah. And I also realized... I think my girlfriend's going to be able to not sleep for about six years. That's so, a uh, it's a weird thing to have happened. Yeah, you had an fun. unwanted visitor, an un an unwanted, uh, perfectly uh, pleasant and apologetic intruder. Yeah, right. Uh, Best kind. Yeah, I hesitate to even call him an intruder because I don't think he did it deliberately. I think he just stumbled into the. Well, he clearly went through the wrong door, and what should have been done was that either one of the two doors between him and the apartment could have been locked. They weren't trusting people in Portland, but it could have been a lot worse. For one thing, he could have thrown up or taken the crap in the closet, which yeah. he thankfully didn't do. I don't know why he would have been going to his friend Alex's closet in the first place uh, in the example, but he was 
drunk enough to go to the wrong place, but not so drunk that he was not able to stumble around uh. the bed. Like, it requires some delicate footwork to get around the bed to get to the closet. There's, like, stuff in the way. There's a bed frame in the way. So he was with it enough. But, like, for one thing, if we were the kind of people who had guns, like, that could have been different. Or if he had, like, opened the doors and then accidentally fallen forward onto the bed and landed on us, it could have been very different. Because then it's like, oh, there's an aggressor. I just woke up. I'm going to try to punch it. So... A lot of different ways it could have gone, but instead the way that went was among the most hilarious, except for my girlfriend's anxiety. Right. Yeah. I would say well-founded anxiety at this point. Yeah, well, now, this is, it's like a, what was it? What was the Arrested Development character, J. Walter Weatherman or something? Like, a, this is, this is, this is what happens if you don't lock the doors or something along those lines. What are you asking me to remember things? Well, I, I asked you about Excel, I asked you about Arrested Development, you're no help. No, I'm not gonna be any help. This is how you learn a lesson to lock your doors. Although yesterday when I went over, the doors were not locked. All right. Let's stop. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Garson. That's been Jeff Sullivan, senior editor of Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio.